First Timothy chapter 6, and remain standing for just a few more moments. First Timothy chapter 6, it's good to see also Reuben and Cynthia. A man right there. Coming here in the youth many years ago, had so many youth. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing many of them. Amen. They're now married, growing up, all these different young men and young women all over the place. There's so much seed that has been planted here in Hayward. A lot of seed, man. This church has been here for 30 years. This church has been here. And uh, I believe it was just last month we celebrated 30 years of faithfulness in Hayward. Give the Lord a hand for that. Amen. I know you got your Bibles there, but that is awesome. 30 years here within this uh, city, within this community. And uh, that goes to show that there's a lot of seed. So that means that there's going to be a lot of harvest. We need a lot of harvest. I look around and there's a lot of chairs, man. We got to fill this place. We got to put this place right on the map where God had uh, designed it before the beginning of time. Amen. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. If you haven't, give me a loud amen. It says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. In another translation, it says, and oh, my dear Timothy, guard the treasure you were given. Guard it with your life. Now turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Some of you one page over. Some of you may be on the same page. Verse 14. It says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time, Lord God. Lord, let your spirit be the dominant. Remove me. Place your Holy Spirit behind this pulpit. He that has an ear, let him hear. Stir up the faith, my God. Lord, stir us up to not be the same way that we walked in to those doors this morning. We want to change. We want a difference because we want to change ourselves so we can change the community and advance your kingdom here in the city of Hayward and beyond. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. And all together we said... Give your neighbor a high five and tell him I'm glad I'm next to you. Then you can be seated. Praise the Lord. It's just something about high fives, amen. I don't know what it is, but uh, you don't see losers high five each other. Right? You don't. You don't see losers high fiving each other. Oh, good loss, man. Good loss. No. Only time you see people high-fiving is when something great happened, right? Or you're a winner. You're on a winning team. So that's why you got to know something. You're on a winning team. Can I hear an amen? Today, this morning, I want to speak to you on something that God has shared with them, put upon my heart. And coming back from our world conference, we talked about legacy. And so here this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about the legacy and the legacy that has been given to you and I. Now, what is legacy? Legacy is that anything that has been handed down from the past. Legacy, it's what we are holding on to from the past that we have in our present to change our future. This is the legacy that we are 
passing down. See, a legacy is something that has been given to you and I, that has been trusted to our care, that we heard from Paul to Timothy saying, guard it with your life. Somebody say, your life. Now, before I continue on, now I know that maybe when you were younger, maybe your mom uh, used to tell you, don't talk back to me. Well, here this morning, I'm not your mom, so I want you to talk back to me. All right? So I want, whenever there's that time for that amen, give me a loud amen. Whenever there's that time for that amen, give me an amen. All right. I like the talk back church. That's a good thing. Amen. I like that. I like it whenever we have a little bit of a joyous spirit going on. Amen. Here this morning as I want to share with you about legacy, I want to talk to you about the principles that have been passed down from generation to generation. This is an heritage that you and I have been given. There is a greatness that has been given to us. Just like Paul was given to Timothy, so the same. Our forefathers, our founders are giving us something. But they're giving us something that we've got to guard it with our life. It's now ours. See, no longer is it just a thing of the past. Now it's our present and preparing us for our future. It's a legacy. A legacy. Anything you give from the past that you're giving to the present to prepare you for the future. You've got to guard it with your life. Now, when you and I guard something, it's not uh, necessarily something that when you hear that word guard, that you've got to hold on to it so tight that it can't be used. No, this kind of guard is something different. See, this kind of guard is like loving. This kind of guarding is like loving. In other words, love is not love until you give it away. So the same thing like guarding. Guarding is not guarding until you let it go, until you give it away. That's the kind of guard that Paul was talking about to Timothy. I want you to guard it, but not guard it, hold on to it, and keep it for yourselves. No, there's other people that need what you've got. Other people that need what you've got. Richie Outreach Hayward, there are people out there, they need what you've got. Tell the person next to you, say, I need what you got. See, in basketball, the first position there, his name is the guard. That's what he is. Now, the thing about it is that that guard doesn't stand underneath the hoop the whole time and say, okay, you can't come here. No, he actually has to go over there. you got to score some points. If you're going to protect this hoop, you got to score in that hoop. That's what a guard has to do. That's his position. A soldier, if he fights the battle, he doesn't necessarily fight the battle on his own soil. He actually has to go onto foreign soil to protect what he's got over here. That's what soldiers do. Well, it's the same thing. Just like the principles that have been given to us, good principles do not surface until bad character rises. It's the same thing. Well, see, you and I, we have these things. We have this legacy that has been given to us. This legacy that you and I have, we got to guard it, but we got to guard it with our life. Somebody say, with our life. Now, when I was growing up, there was a lot of things about my father that used to frustrate me. As a young man, oh, man, I used to get so frustrated. Now, when I was a young man, you know, it's just I didn't know they were principles. I just thought they were things that my father used to tell me that I figured all dads do just because that's what dads do. They could do whatever they want, you know. They could just, I could do whatever I want. I'm the dad. And so that's what I thought growing up as a young man. That's what you think. That's the way that you think. But, you know, when I was a child, I thought like a child, like the Bible says. But when you grow up, you become a man. Well, there were certain things that I remember my father used to make me do. I remember as a young man, maybe seven, eight years old, I used to come up to my dad and say, Dad, uh, can I borrow some money? He said, sure. Okay, can I have some money? He goes, wait. 
they used to frustrate me. I used to get mad. I'd be like, Dad, Dad, come on. The ice cream's right there. Let me have some money. Okay, I'm going to give you money. Wait. Isn't that just like Dad sometimes or just like God sometimes? God, can you hurry up? I'm like, sure. Wait. Like, oh, this, oh, it frustrates me. Or I remember sometimes I would do something wrong to my mom or something would happen. My dad used to come and say, go, go apologize to your mother. Go apologize to your mother. And matter of fact, as you apologize to her, tell her that you love her. Oh, my gosh. Dad used to kill me. Sorry, Mom. T tell her you love her. Tell, 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 tell her you love her. The worst one that I used to always hear from my father, I, say, I used to say, Dad, why do I got to do that? He said, you know why? Why, Dad? Because I said so. Oh, my gosh. These things were killer to me. They would just totally mess up who I was or who I thought I was. Totally mess me up. But see, the Bible talks about how when I was a child, I thought like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. You know what that word became a man means? It doesn't necessarily mean a, a man or a woman in the flesh. What it means is the maturity of a person. That's what it means. The maturity has now began to happen and it's taken place. I remember years ago, I, I came here, it was about four or five years ago, I came back to visit, and there was a woman that had come here that hadn't been here in a long time, and we were in the bookstore, and I seen her, I go, hey, how you doing? And, you know, she was a, uh, an older woman, and she had come here, and we started talking and reminiscing, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, she just kind of looked around, and I looked at her, I go, are you okay? And she goes, yeah, I just have so many memories in this church. You know, she was, a, you know, an, an older woman, and, and I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, yeah, I just have so many memories, but, man, some of them good, some of them bad. And I'll never forget she said this, and it really kind of took to me ever since then. She goes, man, I grew old in this church, but I just never grew up. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that when she told me that. She goes, no, I, I've grown up now, but in this church, she just grew old. There was, in other words, there was a process of her body being here, but there wasn't a process of her heart being here. See, because there's a process that God has for our lives, each and every one of our lives. And what that is is that he's trying to give it to us, but are we holding on to it? Are we taking what God has given to us? In other words, are these messages that come from behind the pulpit, are they just a good message that go, wow, that made me feel good? Or is it actually something that says, man, that message got to my life. It actually makes me want to change and grow in the things of God. See, my friend, that's why we come to church. We don't come to church to sit here and say, okay, who has the best suit? Who's got the best dress? Who's got the best this? Or my friend, she's definitely got the best hat. That's for sure. I love that. I love seeing your mom, Will, with that hat. I said, hands on, sister, sister, hands down the best hat. Hands down, the best hat. I got to get me a hat now. Do we have hat day here? We do? I'm going to get a hat now. I'm going to have to outdo that hat right there. I don't know how, but I'm going to. How do we do? See, my friend, we come here to grow. Look at your neighbor say, to grow. See, this is something where you and I, 
have to begin to see that there is a change that is going to happen within our lives. Principles that take place that change who we are. This is what my father had gave me. And so here this morning, I want to give you a few quick principles that I believe that are passed down from our generation onto the next generation that are going to help us make a difference in who we are. As I watch television and I see so many things take place within uh, our generations, things that are happening, things that are taking place, my friend, we are losing our values and losing our principles slowly but surely, but they're happening. I just had a, a preacher come to the training center just recently, and he was sharing. He had just uh, gotten his thesis in discipleship, and he'd been going to school and, and doing all this stuff. And he was sharing with us about how the school systems of today, that California is going to be one of the first uh, states in all of the United States to change their history books. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, change the history books. He said, yeah, they're actually spending millions of dollars to redo all of the history books to show that if there was a man in history that was gay, they're going to say he was gay. I said, well, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, I mean, you know, and there's a lot of people that you probably know about, that you probably read about. They probably live the homosexual lifestyle, but it's not emphasized. The homosexual agenda now is to make sure that everybody knows that that person was gay. That's the agenda. They want to make sure. And so slowly but surely, all of our values and all of our principles of what we thought we stood for, they're deteriorating. They're leaving who we are. See, my friend, I'm here to tell you that these principles, they need to be stuck in who we are. Because if not, any little thing that we read, oh, sounds good. I guess that, that's what we're going to do. I guess that's what's going to happen. See, my friend, there needs to be a group of people that say, no, I've got principles. I've got values. I know who I am. I know who I serve. And everything else is not going to deteriorate who I am. I am a Christian. I'm a man of God. I'm a man filled with principles. Look at your neighbor and say, do you got principles? The first principle I want to give you here this morning is called the secret principle. The secret principle. This is what you would kind of call the secret of success. Now, how many here this morning, I want to ask you a question. How many here want to be successful? You'd like to be successful. I don't want to be successful, right? I think successful would be great. Meaning of success. Now, I'm not talking the kind of success that kind of brings you wealth and pleasure. I'm not talking about that. Okay, because that kind of success is just going to go right through your fingers. I'm not talking about that sort of success. Whenever you hear that word success, right away you think Hollywood and the, the lights and the glitz and the glamour. I'm not talking about that kind of success. I'm not bringing out that kind of success. I'm talking about the kind of success that will bring you fruit and fulfillment in who you are. See, the success that makes you understand the difference between happiness and joy. See, because happiness, if you're happy, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm happy. Well, probably because something good happened to you, more than likely. But if something bad happens to you, and I say, hey, how you doing? Oh, well, not doing that great. See, because happiness is based on happenings. So if you're happy, it's because I had a great happening. Somebody gave me $100. Yay, I'm happy. Somebody took $100. I'm not happy. Because happiness is based on happenings. But joy, the Bible says, joy is unspeakable. You can't, I can't explain it. I mean, I can be going through hell, but you're never going to know it because I want to lead you to heaven. Because that's what joy will do. It's joy unspeakable. 
There's a success. I can't explain. It's a secret. Because when you see certain people say, that doesn't make sense. It's because there's a secret. See, now, the secret, you can't just tell anybody because it's a secret. You only tell those who you trust. Right? Because that's what a secret. If everybody knew, then it's not a secret. It's public domain. Everybody knows about it. But a secret, I can only tell a few people. It's a secret. Look at your neighbor and say, a secret. No, you can't tell them. You've got to whisper it say, a secret. See, the Bible says in Psalms chapter 25, turn with me there to verse 14. Psalms 25 verse 14. It says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. See, this secret you share with those you trust, with those who you are feeling, who you feel are going to take what you give them, that they're going to take it to heart. In Luke chapter 18, verse 34, it talks about, and it shares about how not everything had been revealed yet. They didn't quite understand these things. In other words, the secret wasn't fully disclosed to them quite yet. The disciples hadn't seen it yet. Now, the reason why, and, and as you study the scriptures, you'll find that Jesus, a few times, he says, can you not see it? Can you not see what I'm trying to show you? Can't you see the signs? It's right here. And then Jesus says, you know what? I'm not going to show you anything anymore. You're not going to see no more miracles. Now, as you continue to study the scriptures, he still heals the blind and people still walk. He, he, matter of fact, even after that, he walks on water. I mean, just he still performs miracles. But why did Jesus say you're not going to see nothing? It's because there was a secret he was trying to get across to them. There was something that he was trying to entrust to them, but could they see it? Could they understand it? What God was, see, some of you here this morning, God's trying to reveal a secret to you. See, that's why when you go out there and you talk about church stuff to your friends, and you say, oh, man, church was awesome, they look at you like, you're weird. Right? You ever had that before? You go to work or you have your friends, you start talking to them about church, and they're like, you know why? It's because they don't know the secret. It's a secret. They say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Listen, my friend, the Bible says it very clear. It's only to those who fear him. There's a lot of people, they don't fear God. So that's why when you talk about God, they say, ah, who cares? They don't really live a life of eternal consequences. They don't really care. It's not a big deal to them. Church, not a big deal. God, not a big deal. Who cares? But only to those who fear him. Only to those who really righteously say, you know what, I want to know more about God. I want there to be a difference in my life. There needs to be a change in who I am. See, when I was a child, I thought like a child. But as I, when I became a man, I put all that ways behind me and I saw what God had for me. It's a secret. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you ready for the secrets? See, Christ couldn't fully give them the whole secret, so what he would do is he would give them parables. So these parables would help reveal this secret. He would give the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son, all these different parables, the parable of the good son. And little by little, they would start singing, oh, I get it. Now I understand. 
I mean, how many times have you heard a message and you've heard a preacher before and they've come up and they've said, today we want to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And right away you go, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. But then all of a sudden as you continue to listen, all of a sudden, whoa. Now, wow. See, because little by little, you might have heard it before, but then the secret gets bigger. Then the secret, you could see it more. And then little by little. See, a lot of people, they hear the parable of the Good Samaritan, they say, oh, that was a good guy. That was a good person. My friend, Christ didn't die to come down so that you can be a, a good person. That's not why he came to die on this earth. Christ didn't come down to this earth to die so that you can live uh, at a successful life with a hundred cars and a, and a big house on a hill and have a white picket fence. That's not why Christ came to die. He didn't come to die. He came so that you and I, where we can have fellowship with him, that we can have a relationship with him. See, it's a secret. That's why a lot of people, they call it religion. You and I, we call it relationship. It's a secret. I keep trying to tell people, hey, it's a relationship, and they go, ah, oh, it's religion. Because they just see good people. Well, I want to tell you something. There's going to be a lot of good people in hell. There are a lot of good people. Oh they, oh, they give. They've got a lot of money. Oh, that's great. Look at how much money they give. That's good and that's great. But without Jesus Christ, they're going to hell. I know that's kind of hard to hear, hear, but my friend, it's a secret. And we try our best to tell everybody. But some people, when we share the secret, all they do is they hear us like adults there on Charlie Brown. You ever watch Charlie Brown before? You ever hear adults talk on Charlie Brown? But you know that. Oh, man. That's kind of what happens. That's the way sometimes people hear us. Jesus loves you. Because the secret is to only those who fear him. See, my friend, I come here, I fear God. I fear God. I want to live a life that is the fear of God, not the fear of man. Do not fear man who cannot take your soul. Fear God who could take your soul. Fear him. See, this fear that we have now all of a sudden puts our faith in the right place. So the secret that God was trying to tell his disciples, the secret that God is trying to tell us here this morning is the secret. Are you ready for it? It's called faith. It's faith. Now, the thing about it is that it starts off small. That's why a lot of people don't see it. It starts off real small. The faith that has been given, the faith of a mustard seed. It's really small. But the thing about it is that it's not there to stay small. It's there to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But it's a secret. Not a big, They just look over it and they go, oh, that's okay. I, I, I don't want to go over that part. Oh, no, 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 that's all right. But that's what Christ is trying to do to his disciples little by little. That's why. See, a lot of people say, why do you go to church every Sunday? Because I need church. Maybe you don't need church. I need church. Dude, I am so messed up without church. I remember years ago, I went on vacation, and I missed a Sunday morning. Dude, that Monday, I was tore up. I said, never again. Forget vacation with a, forget missing a Sunday. I can't do that no more. Now, maybe that's not, but me personally, I'm like, dude, I, gotta, I don't care. I'm going to go online. I'm going to put the preacher right in front of me. I'm going to have somebody come preach to me. Somebody preach to me, please. 
Because I, I need church. I got to have it. It's got to stir up my faith. It does something. Whenever we come together, all of a sudden, my, my little mustard seed all of a sudden grows. And I feel like, man, on Saturday, I felt like the world was on top of me. But on Sunday, I feel like I can conquer the world. Why? Because the faith, the element of faith has come inside. And no longer is it just a secret. It's who I am. Look at your neighbor and say, it's who you are. See, this church here, Victory Outreach Hayward, what would happen if the men and women would see the element of faith and see the greatness of what a small part can do? The greatness. Victory Outreach Hayward, we're not just a church on the corner, even though we're a church on a corner. There's greatness that is happening here. There is greatness that is taking place in the supernatural. There's a greatness that is being stirred up right now, even in the heavenlies. Even as many of you are just sitting here. You might be just sitting there, but your faith is being stirred up all over the city of Hayward. And little by little by little, all of a sudden, greatness, it's arising. Little by little. It's the secret that God is showing you and I. The second principle here this morning, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to read in verse 11. It says, and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not on the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Now, as you begin to read and, and you see the life here of what was taking place, and you even read the, the, the children of Israel and, and, and what they went through to get out of Egypt, and, and you hear about what Moses did and, and all these different great men, and what they had to do just to get the people to listen to them. I mean, uh, believe me, I love dramas. I love productions. I love concerts. I love doing big things. And I believe that God's got big things in store for Victory Outreach Hayward. But one thing that I've learned is that not necessarily is God always in the big things. I heard a preacher the other day. As he was talking, I heard him talking about how there's a revival that's going to take place in America. Man, and I was like, my faith was getting stirred. I was like, come on now. I hear about all these revivals all over the world in, in Venezuela and, and Colombia and, and Indonesia, all these different revivals that are taking place. And I'm like, well, when's a revival going to take place in America, in California, in Northern California, in Hayward? You know, that's the way I, you know, my, that's the way I think. I don't know what you think, but I'm like, I'm ready for revival right now. But one thing that I've learned, even though the fire and all that, sometimes God's not necessarily all in the big productions. He is there. Believe me, he is there. But you got to remember, God brought the children of Israel out, right? He brought them all out. Miracle. Wow. Pharaoh let them go. That was awesome. That was heavenly here on the wall. I mean, and then all of a sudden, here comes a cloud by day and a fire by night. And, I mean, all these great things that are happening and all this stuff, that is, all these plagues that happen. And then, it, nevertheless, still, uh, God's power was stronger than Pharaoh's. I mean, it just, wow. I mean, you would think that the children of Israel would be like, 
whoa, thank you, God. But you know what they did? They went like, yeah, right, man. You left us out here to die. Here comes a big old fire, and yet they're still worshiping a golden calf. So, I mean, the, the big production, that's great. They're awesome. But sometimes a still, small voice. Years ago, my parents, they were in full-time ministry, and they used to a, a lot. Uh, they would go and they would drop off me and my sister. I have two sisters, my sister Val, who's here, and then also my sister Stephanie. And I was probably in, in fourth or fifth grade, about uh, nine years old, ten years old. And my other sister would be in kindergarten. And my other sister Val, she actually was not in school yet. So she'd be at home. She'd be there. And so my parents, they would go and drop us off. But my sister Val was still at home. She was still there. Four years old. And so my parents, they'd drop us off early in the morning. And there they would be. be about 8 o'clock in the morning. And my parents would sit down. And they would have that Christian crack called coffee. And they would just be sitting there. And for those of you that drink coffee, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Not a coffee drinker. It's kind of funny, though, how. We as crack addicts would just go, all right, let's just switch it over. Now I need coffee. I need coffee. My God. We're just addicts, amen, like Paul. But I'm addicted to the ministry. Praise the Lord. But my parents would be there, and they'd be drinking coffee, and they would be discussing ministry maybe on that Monday morning. And they'd be sitting around the table. And me and my sister would be off at school. But my sister Val, all of a sudden time would go by. Then she would wake up, and we had a two-story house. And then, boom, they would hear the steps. Oh, Valentina, she's awake. And my, sis, my, my parents, my mom and dad, they'd just be sitting, talking about ministry. And then they would hear my sister on the second floor. She'd go over. She'd go in the bathroom. There she was. Oh, Val, she's in the bathroom. Then she'd go right back to her room. Back in her room. Five minutes would go by. Then she'd go, Val. She's in Esteban's room. Oh, my gosh. Esteban's going to get mad. I would get mad, too, because I knew where everything was. Then she'd, she'd be playing in my room and then go back to her room. Five minutes would go by, and then my parents would be talking. Oh, there she is. She's in my dad's office. Now, my dad's office was already a mess, so you really couldn't mess that up that much. So then there Val go. Right back to her room. She'd be playing back in her room. Five, ten minutes go by, and then, oh, she'd go in my parents' room. Now she's in my parents' room. And then my parents, they would just continue talking and, you know, having breakfast and talking about ministry, things of God. And five minutes would go by. Ten minutes would go by. Twenty minutes go by. Thirty minutes go by. Forty minutes go by. Just drinking coffee, having a good time, just talking. And then all of a sudden, 45 minutes, an hour would go by. I go, hey, wait a second. Don't we have another daughter? Oh, yeah, where's, where's Val? I don't know. Oh, my gosh, the last I remember, Val was in our room. So then my dad would go, oh, my gosh, we better go see what she's up to. So then my parents together would walk up the steps. They would look at my room. It was a mess. They would look at the, uh, my sister's room. It was a mess. Look at my dad's room. It was already a mess. The office. Then they would go into my parents' room, open the door. And sure enough, there's my four-year-old little sister on top right there of my mom's makeup table. Makeup all over 
her face, putting on my mom's jewelry. The bed would be filled with powder, blankets just messed up. My, she would have my mom's shoes on. She'd have her clothes on, and they would look, and there'd be my sister Val. It's just like, you know, any cute four-year-old, hey, mommy, hey, daddy, look. Right? And I go, oh, my gosh. We forgot. Well, see, a lot of times, that's what happens when you have a still, small voice with God. You forget about it. But you need to know something, is that God, he's always up to something. You may have forgotten, but God never forgets. He's always up to something. He's doing more behind your back than you see in front of your eyes. He's up to something. See, some of you right now, all you see is bills stacked high on your table. And you say, man, God, how, why do I got this bill? I thought I was a child of you. I don't understand. Why? God is up to something. Some of you, all you see is your child coming in and out of your house, drinking, getting involved with parties, things that, doing things that you know they shouldn't be doing. You're saying, God, how come? God is up to something. Say, so, well, I don't understand it. My friend, there's a lot of things that you and I, we don't understand about God. But his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. My will is definitely not his will. But he's up to something. See, that second principle, we call it, my father used to call it, was the Valentina principle. That you're never going to forget. God is always up to something. Look at your neighbor and say, he's up to something. The third and the last principle I want to give you here this morning, and this is where we'll end, is called the compassion principle. The compassion principle. Now, the compassion principle, this is not a pity principle. But it's a divine impulse moved into action. Now, when you remember when Jesus, he said, I want you to come and follow me. And then there was men that said, Jesus, I will go and I will follow you. But first, let me go and bury my father. Right? You remember those? That scripture, I believe in Luke, Luke chapter 9. And it talks about how there was men that said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. But first, let me go take care of this. Now, you kind of see it, and it goes, wow, Jesus, that's a little cold-blooded. He says, any man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, they're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Now, at first, you think, man, that's, that's kind of cold-blooded, you know, if you think about it. Because they go, but first, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. And you go, whoa, that's cold-blooded. Does God not care about family? No, 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 read the Bible. He's all about family. Matter of fact, he calls himself your father so believe me he's all about family but you initially read it and you go man that's messed up there's something wrong about that see because initially they had it right God I'm gonna follow you but and then God says oh man some of you guys you gotta kick that butt out you gotta just kick the butt because you got it right the first time see because what happens is compassion moves you to do something but then pity reveals you, uh, repels you back. See, I remember years ago when my father had passed away, and I had shared this. I said, look, 
there's many people that are coming and they're helping us out. I and mean, you could tell that they have compassion. But I want to make it very clear. I, I remember sharing this. I said, look, right now the, the, the state that my mom was in when she was, uh, my father had passed away. It was a real tough time. And the same thing even right now for Sister Stephanie. Sister Stephanie, and I say this with all due respect, she doesn't need pity. She needs compassion. See, that's why many of us, we need to understand that when we came up here to, to give, I hope you weren't moved by pity. I pray you weren't. You were not moved by, oh, man, that's just a sad thing. That you actually said, you know what, I actually need to help Sister Stephanie. I want to help her. See, that's compassion. Compassion. But pity, what that is is that you look at television and you go, oh, 1-800, they need help. That's, that's pity that you look at them. But I want to let you know something. Victory Outreach, we're not a pity ministry. We're not. Other people, they may have that. But we as Victory Outreach, we ain't pity. When we actually say we want to go help the gang member, we actually want to go and help the gang member. When we see the drug addict, we don't go, oh, somebody needs to help them. We actually go, I need to help them. See, there's a big difference between pity and compassion. See, passion moves. Compassion, it moves. Pity is a feeling. Pity says, oh, somebody should help you. Compassion says, I need to help you. There's a difference. And there's a story in the Bible that makes, that where compassion changes the whole story. And it's the story of the prodigal son. This story changes everything. See, in Mark chapter 6, we hear and we see about how Jesus was moved with compassion. After he was moved with compassion, he did something about it. And that, and that comes to what we find out called the feeding of the 5,000. This compassion that we read about that Nehemiah, he saw the walls being torn down and he cried for his city. And he said, man, the walls of my city are being torn down. I need to do something about it. First he cried, then he moved and he rebuilt the walls in 52 days. Then we read about this story of the prodigal son where the father had to give all that he had, his inheritance, he had to pass it on. And then the Bible says that this son squandered it all. But the compassion changes it. When you read this story here of the prodigal son, you read about how this story is probably one of the greatest stories ever told. Greater than Shakespeare, greater than Socrates, greater than any history book. It's this story of the prodigal son. Now this is a principle that I believe hits home more than any other principle, especially to myself. See, it's a story of a young man who wants all his inheritance early in life to show his father that he can make it on his own. When you read the story in Luke chapter 15, it starts in verse 11. You'll see a story like none other. It's somewhat of a typical story of today's youthful happenings, but then there's a change. As you read this story in Luke chapter 15, in verse 12, it starts like this. Where one son, he gets his inheritance. In verse 13, he travels far and he wastes it all. In verse 14, there's a famine in the land and there is nothing. In verse 15, he found a job feeding pigs. In verse 16, nobody wanted the son. In verse 17, he realizes his stupidity and how crazy he was. In verse 18, he comes up with an apology. In verse 19, he's even willing to be called a servant. But in verse 20... Compassion changes the whole story. See, this changed his life. Now, you got to realize something. As this parable was being told to a lot of the disciples and the Pharisees, 
to the Jewish people, the name was a big deal. So the son taking this inheritance and literally running the name of his father in the mud was a big deal. Matter of fact, to any son that messed up the name, what they could have done because of the pity or because of the, uh, the shame, excuse me, that he brought upon the family name, what they could have done, the father could have closed the gate and left them outside and let the whole town spit on him. That's what actually should have happened. Matter of fact, when you read it, according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, the law could have been that they could have stoned him to death. And it would have been perfectly fine. The whole city could have just stoned him. Said, man, look at, look at this guy. He messed up the father's name. Kill him. That's what they should have done. Probably, maybe many of you, you messed up your family's name, right? Totally just shamed the name. Totally messed it up. And people should have just left you, left you for nothing. Just, dude, this guy's a mess up. This girl, she's all tore up. All messed up. Look at what he did. Look at what she did. They didn't even listen. They should have listened the first time. But you know what? Because they didn't listen, leave them alone. Just let them die on their own. But see, the Bible says compassion came upon the Father and changed the whole thing. See, compassion changes the whole story. It changes everything. As I walk around and I drive around here within the, the city of Hayward and San Leandro and San Lorenzo, Union City, Dakota, all around here, what changes the whole story is not what I read in the newspaper. Five found dead right here in the Dakota. I'm like, what? You read the headlines, uh, continual mess-ups within the inner cities of Hayward. That's not the story I want to read. That's not the story I want to hear. But if I want to change it, I got to do something about it. See, compassion changes the whole story. They should have left them for dead, but they didn't. I look at many of our lives, they should have left us for dead, but they didn't. Easily should have, man, just by looking around, I mean, I just look at the front row alone and I go, man, all y'all should just be left alone. I look at the back row and I go, oh, Jesus. I need Jesus. But what changes it all is when compassion comes in the story. It changes the whole thing. Listen to me and listen very carefully, reach out your table. Please listen. This church was built on compassion. It was built. This church and who we are is built on compassion. What does that mean? It means this. It sees hurt, but it finds hope. That's what compassion does. It sees total shame, and it brings God's grace. That's what it does. Listen, some of you here this morning, there needs to be a compassion back in your heart, back into who you are. You want to change the story? Change who you are. Change it inside of who you are. Compassion changes the whole thing. 
Man, I, I look and I hear the stories about how this church was, was founded and you hear all these different things and you hear all this, this different stuff. And, man, uh, how they, they went into uh, the, the Tortilla Flats over here. They went into Dakota. They went over here to San Leandro. We go witnessing in, in Oakland late at night with the pimps and the prostitutes. Came in here with the gang members. And, man, you, I hear all these stories. I hear all these stories. And, listen, I love hearing the stories. I think they're great. They're a part of who we are. But you know what I love even better? I love writing my own stories. I love it. I love hearing the stories. I hear people come, and I hear them share, man, I remember your father. I remember this. And I, Man, I love hearing those things. Keep bringing them. You know why? Because it makes me want to write more. It makes me want to write some more stories. Say, wow, if we could change, if God can change a Toby, then I believe God can go change another Toby out there. If God can change a Paul and Eric or Will, if God could change a Dana or Linda, if God could change a Gloria or Juan, if God could change them, whew, I know God could change more. See, because when compassion comes in, it changes the whole story. I believe the newspaper, it has its place. I believe it does. Thank God for the newspaper. Thank God for all the writers that write what they do. I thank God for that. But you know what I love even more? Stories that you don't read about in the headlines. You're not going to read about a drug addict, a gang member getting changed. You're not going to read about it. You ain't going to see it. That's okay. That's fine. You're not going to read about a pimp or a prostitute giving their life over to God. You're not going to read about it. It may not be in the headlines of the newspaper, but believe me, it's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. <laughs> it's written right there. And listen, Victory Outreach, it's our time to pick up that pen and say, okay, God, we need to write some more stories here. There's some prodigal sons. There's some prodigal daughters that are out there. They're hurting. They're squandering the name, and people are looking at them, and they're putting them outside the gate. But, God, I'm ready to run out there. I'm ready to open up my arms. I'm ready to say, God, I'm ready for there to be a change in my city, a change in my community, a change in my family. I'm ready for there to be a change, a change through compassion. It's a compassion. Changes the whole things. Listen, Victory Outreach, everything in the kingdom of God is flipped upside down. You want your life to change? Change someone else's. You want to be first? Be last. You want to be the greatest? Be the least. It's flipped. Victory Outreach, Hayward, it's flipped. It's not the same. You want your life to change? Say, God, I want to change my life. Okay, go help somebody else's life change. It's different. That's what the father did. The father said, I can care less about all this stuff. He left it all and he ran after the son. Some of us here this morning, you got to leave. That, that first impulse you had, God, I will follow you. Okay, that's where it's at. No buts, no ifs. Say, God, if you give me a million dollars, no, you don't need a million dollars. All you need is a thousand. You're doing just fine. That's all you need. If you want to get a million, we'll learn how to handle a thousand. First handle that. Then God will give you, okay, God, already little by little, watch. That 1,000, it's like faith. You got to remember, what's faith? Faith is a seed. And seed, what does it do? It grows. Work on 1,000, 10,000 will come. Work on 10,000, 100,000 will come. Work on 100,000, a million will come. But you got to realize what it's for, what it's all for. 
See, some of you here this morning, you might be in a financial situation. I don't know why I'm saying this. It's not on my notes. You might be in a financial situation. You say, I came because I wanted God to give me. And actually God's saying, I want you to give me your all. Once you give me, then I will give you. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest. He wants to give you something. But first, you've got to give him something. These principles that have been given to us, there's many more. There's hundreds more principles. I just gave you three. But for some of us here this morning, it's a secret. And I pray that by this time, that all of a sudden you begin to realize, oh, my gosh, that's what, God, that's what you've been trying to show me this whole time. That's what you've been trying to share with me. That's what you've been trying to tell me. God's been trying to tell many of you for the past 10, 15, 20 years. He's been trying to share it to you. Come on, hey, I want to do, I want to, you're like, oh, okay, one day, one day. God's saying no more one day. Today. Today. But I don't, I don't know if I can. I don't, oh, man, you're perfect. You're right there because you're in the fear of God. So I don't know if I can. You're exactly right. You can't. Because now you realize without God, you can't. You need God. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I can't, but he can. 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 Victory Outreach Hayward, we can't, but he can. There's a greatness that is being shown here this morning. Can you hear it? It's in that still, small voice. Stand with me here this morning. Hallelujah. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As the Spirit of God is moving and ministering here this morning, it's principles that have been given to you and I of who we are. It doesn't matter what has happened before you walked into those doors. That you're here to say, you know what, I, I came to church because I want a fresh. I want a new. I want something fresh. I need something fresh. I desire something fresh. God, you've called me. God, you've called me. And many of you here this morning, you know that God has called you to do something great. And you, you know you're at the capacity of who you are. And God's saying, no, I don't want you to have the capacity of who you are. I want you to have the capacity of who I am in you. And greatness is transpiring. Some of you right now, there's a faith being stirred up in who you are. There's a faith being stirred up. Hallelujah. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as Benji begins to sing this song here this morning, and you say, you know what, I'm ready, man. God has given me this great legacy, and I want to hold this thing that has been entrusted to me. I want to hold on to this great legacy of what God has given Victory Outreach Hayward, of what God has given myself. Maybe some of you here, you're visiting. You're from another city, but God has given you a great legacy. It's a part of who you are. You can go to different cities, but you're always going to be that legacy holder. You're always going to be that man. You're always going to be that woman that God has called you to be with every head bowed and every eye closed as he begins to sing this song. I want you to slip out of your seat right now. I want you to come to this altar and say, God, I want to be that legacy holder. I want to be that legacy holder. I want to be that man. I want to be that woman that you have called me to be of the greatness that is inside of who 